Well, as we come to January, um, our hope and plan is to often spend time of just kind of refocusing our hearts and minds on what's most important. And uh, this morning, we want to begin, Lord willing, uh, to spend some time over the next five weeks in January, just kind of reminding ourselves of what it looks like to live a spiritually disciplined life. And so I, I want to encourage you um, to begin praying that God would speak to your heart to prepare you to hear this word and to follow it. And so uh, I think it's a reminder of trying to struggle to connect here, Miss Karen. Um, it's the words of First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And I think it's a reminder, like, how do we pursue godliness? Or what does it mean to become more like Christ? And it is, in essence, to discipline ourselves, right? To to plan, to spend time, to invest intentionally in our lives. Why? It says for the purpose of godliness, to become more like Christ. And so we're going to talk about things, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. Reading the Word, praying the Word, singing the Word, confessing the Word sharing the word, right? And just reminding and reorient our lives on what's most important. And we're going to invest on how does that look to me personally, but also how does that look to us corporately as a church? And then maybe even some implications of what's that look like for our family and worship there. I want to encourage you. Uh, you may have read this book list before we did a study on it, but if not, I want to encourage you. Spiritual, dis- spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by, by Dr. Donald Whitney. He's a professor there at Southern and uh, man, it's had just a huge impact on my life. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have the book, I would encourage you, get it, read it. All right, it, it's, it's a, in a lot of ways a very easy read, but a hard read because of how it just begins to expose things in our life and challenges and encourage us. If you do have it, I want to encourage you to reread it. And I'll be honest, in the coming weeks, I plan to lean heavily on, on several things that stand out in the book each week, maybe sharing those with you. And one of those I want to start with today. It's a story I've kind of adapted from one of the stories he tells in the book. And imagine this. Imagine that on a Tuesday night, a young girl gets up and she goes to gymnastic practice. The reality is she's young and learning, but her cartwheel is more cart than it is wheel. Her, her friends flip around the mats and, and do really well, and she goes back home and she, she practices some at night, but it's mainly because her parents make her. The truth is it's discipline without direction. But imagine this for a moment, that one night an angel shows up and gives her a vision. She sees that there's this older girl on this mat just flipping away, cartwheels, back t- back handspring, back tuck, twist, all this stuff. She looks on the sidelines. There's people like Simone Biles and other Olympians are like, now that's how you do it. The girl is in awe of seeing this unfold. And then as the vision fades, the girl's been doing the flipping turns and looks, and the girl realizes it's actually an older her. So she looks at the angel and says, how will this ever be me? And the angel responds, practice now the reality is can you imagine what's changed for that little girl her skills are still the same but now she has a vision something's captured her heart and mind and so now that can you i'm assuming that practice for her looks different why because she now has a purpose to her practice right she has a direction to her discipline to realize oh this is where i'm headed and i want to compel us as believers as we look to god's word and see christ we realize that thus for us who are in christ god is doing a work of shaping us to become more and more like christ it's the work of the holy spirit but the reality is most all of us struggle with spiritual disciplines and I want to be really just like bullet down to two points, right? This is, I, I get it, maybe a stretch, but in a lot of ways, I think it captures most of us. 
for some of us on one realm, as we think about spiritual disciplines, it's merely become a checklist or a way in which we feel like, man, we keep God glad that he's, he picked us for honest team. And on the other end can be those of us, as, as we approach spiritual disciplines, we begin to think, you know what, I, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to become religious. And so in some ways we become lackadaisical, like, ah, it's okay, right? And so I think those two extremes often remind us of the warning, right, that we are called to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, to not forget what God has called us to do. We might ask, well, why is godliness even important? Well, because when people see us and they know who we are and what we've been and they see the transformation, they realize that only God could do that. It begins to bring God exalting life, right? It returns us to the original back to Genesis unfolding chapters one through three to see what we were called to be. We are called to be image bearers of our God and creator to reflect his glory to a lost and dying world. And so as we come here, I want to encourage you and remind you of this. That when it comes to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, never forget this. You're not doing it alone. You're not alone. It's the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell the believer who gives us a new desire. Indeed, a holy hunger. And one of those hungers is for the word of God. And I want to remind you today as we start that reading the word is one of the ways in which God transforms us into the image of Christ. As we spend time reading the word of God. God uses that by the power of his Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ. Today, I want to think about it. How does it impact us? Yes, corporately as we read the word as a church, but also personally. So why don't we start there personally with this first truth? Reading the word privately transforms us into the image of Christ. This speaks of your own relationship with the Lord, your own time alone with him. Today, we're going to be there in Ezra and Nehemiah. And as you need to understand just a little bit of the background of those stories. You see, the reality is the people have gone into Babylonian captivity. But as God promised through the prophet Jeremiah that one day God would bring back his people out of captivity back into the promised land. Well, guess what? The time comes and there it is about 458 B.C. or so. Ezra, who is a priest and a scribe in Babylon, is now sent back by Cyrus the Persian, right, back into Jerusalem. Now, Zerubbabel's already gone forward, and so if you read the opening chapters of Ezra, you're going to find out that he's already there, and they're working on rebuilding the temple and doing several things. But when Ezra shows up, his intent and desire is to focus on calling the people back to God's Word. And it's there that we hear about Ezra's personal time with the Lord. It's transforming. Look what it happens, beginning in verse 9. For on the first day of the first month, he, which is Ezra, began to go up from Babylonia, And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. So he shows up back in Jerusalem. And this is verse 10. I want want to just focus in here on this verse as we think about reading the word privately, how it transforms us in the image of Christ. Look what it says. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, that's the statement I want to just kind of gather to, right? Look what it says here. I think some things about Ezra that are absolutely so vital. First, it says, for Ezra had set his heart. The word set indicates directing one's face or or, uh, towards something or someone, right? I mean, consider it, right? It's been often said that Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision, right? In a lot of ways, many of you had to make decisions already last night. And I'll be honest with you. I hope that it's not just simply a Saturday night decision. I hope it's one that throughout the week you're planning, organizing your week around gathering with the body of believers on Sunday. But it's intentional, right? The reality is you're here now and you're missing out on other things. You could be other places doing other things, right? 
I, I catch that. I realize that. I understand the rub, right? I mean, Emily's brother was one of those homes struck there on Red Fern, and we're going to be rushing out after church to try to help, right, repair some on their house and do some cleanup. I, I get it. I, I feel the tension of needing to be other places. But the reality is, beloved, this is what we need most. This discipline, this time alone with the Lord is what we need most. And Ezra, guess what? He is setting his heart to do it. And I think we all, as we hear this word, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to study God's word, to spend time alone with the Lord. I think we need to ask a question. Why do we so often struggle? The late pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul says this. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of understanding or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. That stings. It stings. I'll just be honest. It stings me in my own life, in my own time. And so maybe just this morning, we would just pause just for a moment, even as you hear God's word being preached, maybe there's just some time of confession that needs to happen in your life. Maybe a time of just acknowledging, right, your sinfulness and disobedience in this area of your life. Man, can we pray just for a moment? Father, all things into your hand, Lord. All things into your hand, Lord. I trust it. Mm. Your word, God, there is nothing else. We desperately need it, Lord. As those people there in Kenya desperately depend upon the water to provide for them and their families and their livestock, so it is your word. Oh, God, speak to us now. Cause us, God, to see anew, freshen anew what the Almighty can do. Awaken us, oh God, from our slumbers that we might see the beauty of your word. God, please help my heart and mind faithfully preach this word. God, I know it is what my soul and the souls of everyone here needs. God, help me. I need you, Lord. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And I think we all must come to that place of just acknowledging that our hearts are set on other things. That there are idols in my life and your life that so often distract us and weary us. And the reality is, right, the time that we spent on our phone or watching another bowl game, right? Like I need to know what Utah and Ohio State are doing rather than spending time in the Word of God. Right? I mean, the Lord just convicted me one day of like, dude... You spent so much time invested in Kentucky basketball. Do you even know even one of those guys? Would even one of those guys like be able to, if you walked up to them, be like, oh, hey, Blake, how are you? How are the kids? No. Yeah, we invest so much time in things like that and not investing in the Word of God, investing the lives of those around us. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted even as a parent. Like, man, just how often I can be doing this rather than doing this life and family with our kiddos. I want to compel all of us. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. That was his heart. That was his, his, his that's, everything flows from that, right? The heart is the wellspring of life. Everything else flows from it. For Ezra had set his heart. Notice what it secondly is, his focus. He not only sets his heart here. He says it is to study the law of the Lord, to spend time investing in the word of God. 
listen, Ezra isn't simply just reading the Word. It says that he's studying the Word. I, I once heard the difference between reading and studying is simply this, pen and paper. Right? So often, right, I, I'll be honest, I, I can just read the Word and, and flip through the pages and move forward. But man, when we sit down and take time with pen and paper, or maybe you need to type on one of these screens or whatever it may be, but just time slowing down, considering what am I reading? Who is God? Who, who is what's being revealed here? Maybe there's a word. Maybe the fact of setting his heart or studying. I need to spend time just meditating, considering that. Again, just pen and paper, just time devoted to writing, to contemplating, to meditating on the scriptures. Why? Because the purpose, the purpose of our discipline. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's what Paul says to Timothy. That's our call to become more like Christ. And therefore, it's discipline. It's a, it's, a, it's a duty, yes, but that duty becomes a delight as we spend time, God, transforming our heart that what we begin to read, guys, this is, as it's been said before, this is our burning bush, right? We all long for those burning bush Moses moments, but the reality is, guys, we can have them all the time. This is God's Word speaking to us. It is the Scriptures that are breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God. Man, we ought to set our hearts to study this Word. Third, notice what Ezra's desire is. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. And then third, we see this, to do it. He's desiring to do it. I think it's really clarifying, right? It's not simply studying God's word that we might acquire more knowledge. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I think we ought to hear James 1 and 22 saying to us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Hearing without doing is deception. To hear God's word without doing it is deception. I love how 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible tells us what is right, what's not right, how to get right and how to stay right. It's God's word that continually begins to pour into us. Why do we need the word of God? Why do we need to spend time alone? Because the reality is if we don't, then we'll begin to worship a Jesus that looks like us, talks like us, acts like us. We must see who the true God is by spending time in His Word. If we're true to live in the Word, we must first study the Word. Why? Because Psalm 119.11 reminds us, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not what? Sin against you. Fourth and last, Ezra reminds us of this, that receiving the Word of God, studying that Word, having our hearts set on it, doing the word never ends just with us notice what he says there in last it is to teach his statutes and his rule rules in israel ezra's desire of his heart is to read the word or just set his heart on studying the word reading the word studying the word he set his heart on doing the word and then ultimately to be able to teach the word i think it's a reminder right if maybe just work backward for a moment how are we to teach unless we're first doing Right, as Paul says to the preachers, do you tell people you should not lie, but you lie? Do you tell them, hey, you guys shouldn't commit adultery, but you're committing adultery? Remember Jesus, right? He says, if you've looked at a woman lustily, you commit adultery within her heart. I hear James 3 and 1 ringing in my ears so often. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Might we remind ourselves here that if we are to be teachers, that we are first to be doers. And if we are to be doers, then the only way to know how to do what is right is to spend time studying and investing in the Word of God. 
And the only way that's going to flow is if first our hearts are set on this word. And that ultimately brings us to the crux of the issue. How is one's heart set on the word of God? And the only way that happens is the work of the Holy Spirit, beloved. It is God who begins to change a man or a woman, a boy or a girl's heart. He begins to create within us new desires, a holy hunger. And maybe we might ask the question today, well, how often should we read the Bible? It was a British pastor, John Blanchard, who writes in his book, How to Enjoy Your Bible. He says this, how often do we face problems, temptation and pressure every day? Then how often do we need instruction, guidance and great encouragement every day? How often do we see God's face or need to see God's face, hear his voice, feel his touch or know his power every day? Beloved, how often do we need to read this word every day? And I want to encourage you as we start a new year, oftentimes, right, that's just a moment in which we begin to invest of studying God's word. I want, I want to show with you maybe just three quick plans, right? I don't know if you have a plan yet, but if you don't, right, the old adage, right, to fail to plan is the plan to fail, right? And so I want to encourage you. The first one, right, this is, again, two of these are from the Bible, um, the Version Bible app. And so the first one is Project 345, right? See it simply there? All right, this is for folks, maybe you might, you hear it today, you're like, you know what, I need to be reading but the reality is, if I try to jump in and read the entire book coming up, right, I'm probably going to struggle. So this is the first step in. Project 345 allows you to read, right, the entire New Testament in a year. It's set up where you read one chapter a day, right, five days a week. and two days, you have time to me- meditate more, or catch back up, maybe something you missed. But over the course of a year, you can read the entire New Testament. I want to challenge some of you. That's where you need to begin. For others of you, right, maybe you're, you're used to reading, but it's time for you to read the entire Bible. I want to encourage you to consider right here the one-year Bible. What do I like about it? Well, I like the fact that it reads Old Testament and New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. Maybe you're stronger and, and, and more devoted, but I'll be honest, sometimes when I get in Numbers and Leviticus, I really start to wane. So having that balance with the New Testament reading, but also the Psalms and Proverbs every day has been the best rhythm for my life. And this is the one I think Brother Todd and I would both say, the Bible study that we continually come back to. I want to throw a third option, one that I'm working on this year and actually began a little bit in December, but it's from the Gospel Coalition. It's just simply read the Bible. You can see it there. And each day, again, you're reading Old Testament, New Testament, several passages. But man, the devotional part of it is, is one of the things that I found has been so strong. It was that, in fact, in fact, that when I was reading through the book of Revelation and just found there was so much good material there in those final two or three chapters, it began to, began to stir me to think, I need to consider this for next year. So again, those are multiple pathways. Some of you, again, you're here, but you're pen and paper people. Guess what? We can print you off a paper copy and get you a pen. We can. We want you to read the Word. So I want to encourage you, right? Why? Because private study is often so way the pathway to public proclamation as we see in the life of Ezra. So I want to compel you today to pursue that. So again, we see Ezra starting, but as we notice there, right, Ezra's life begins to move forward. And I think it brings us this truth, as we see in the next book, right, that's often connected to Ezra as the book of Nehemiah. And it's reading the word, word, reading the wood, reading the word corporately, right, spending time together as the body of Christ begins to transform us into the image of Christ. What's interesting, right, as you maybe make your way to Nehemiah chapter 8, is that in 458 B.C., it was Ezra who arrived in Jerusalem. And now it's been about 13 years later, 445 B.C., that this man by the name of Nehemiah comes back and he begins to rebuild the walls there in Jerusalem. Soon after that happens, right, that there's time of gathering the people together to hear the Word of God, to read the Word together, and to have the covenant renewed. 
So let's look there for a few moments as we do and maybe begin to see some markers of what's it look like to worship or to read the word as the body of Christ. And I think the encouragement is, as we see here, is they're reading the word. Why? Because they're reminded. What brought us into Babylon to begin with? It was our rejection of God and his word. But what's their hope? Is it that God is merciful and gracious? And he didn't leave his people in bondage, but brought them out. Guys, we gather not because we've been delivered from Babylon, but we've been delivered from something greater, our sin. And the greater hope we have is the fact that the Son of God came and gave his life for us while we were living in Babylon and enjoying it and had no intentions of leaving. Right? That's the hope of this gospel. And he comes and he, he rescues us and brings us out of the darkness into the light. And so we begin to hear this word of God. Now listen, hearing the word of God is no guarantee that we won't turn away. But I might say forsaking the gathering with God's people to hear the word is in some way turning away already. You see, the reality is the Old Testament is full of examples of the people of God gathering to hear God's word. The New Testament, we see them gathering in homes, yes, but they're still gathering on the Lord's Day on Sunday to remember the resurrection of the dead, of Christ who has proclaimed victory. So when we gather on a Sunday morning, it is in the line of the legacy of the people of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament church. It is us following their example. And what they do, they gather to hear this word above all else, to have this word proclaimed to them, to share this word. And that's what's happening here, right? The people are gathering to hear the word. Look what happens in verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, right? The groups gathered, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So you see it throughout, right? There's men and women, those who can understand, Right, he, he highlights that again, the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. The reminder is this. This is what the people of God do. They gather to hear God's word being preached and proclaimed. This is what we do. This is what marks us uniquely, right? Is that we hear from this word and see how it all points to Christ. It's the hope of the gospel. So the people, right, is a mark of the body of Christ, the mark of the people of God, the mark of the church is that we gather together to hear God's word. But notice what else it says. I think it's, it stands out here at the end of verse 3. Is that the people are attentive to the word. Notice what it says here again. And, all, and the ears, right, so the people, all of them are, were attentive to the book of the law. Now, we're going to see, right, in some ways you might ask, well, what's that mean to be attentive? Well, I think several things stand out. Notice what it says here, right? So Ezra stands up, verse 4, on this platform and begins to proclaim to them the truth of God's word. But look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, right? They're there. They're present. They're seeing it physically. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people did what? They stood. There's a physical response, right? They're hearing God's word. There's a sign of saying, this isn't merely Ezra's words. This is the word of God. And they're giving their attention to it. But the people are standing. But not only are they standing, notice what happens else, right? Again, as we think about gathering, how we are to be attentive to the word. And Ezra, verse 6, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people. Notice again here again, all the people answered what? Amen, amen. The word amen indicates truly, right? They're saying, in other words, this is the word of God. They're saying, guys, this is what we're hearing. This is true. This is, that's, that's right. 
We, we've been disobedient, but guess what? That doesn't deter who God is. That's who He is. This is true. This is amen, amen, hearing the Word of God, but not only with their bodies, right, or not only with their lips. Notice what they're doing here, not only standing, but look what happens. Um, further here in verse 6, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice what else I missed, missed it there. After they say amen, amen, they lift up their hands. Now, the reality is, right, when we think about that and hear some of these things of lifting hands and bowing to the ground, we, we think, man, that seems pretty charismatic. I, I would say to us that actually it's not charismatic. That's a biblical response. It's what God's people do. I, I want to, maybe you would ask this question, Blake, what's all of this response got to do with hearing God's word corporately? What's the big deal? And I think we can't minimize the outward response to the word of God, how it has on the inward heart of others around us. I mean, maybe you've been there for a moment, but I know I have been like, honestly, sometimes just drifting off, not paying attention, kind of zoned out, like, and all of a sudden somebody's like, amen. I'm like, whoa, hey, what did I miss? Right. Or sometimes I'm hearing God's word and maybe I'm struggling that day and, and, and amen begins to rise up. An amen of just saying to us, maybe I hear another faithful brother or sister around me and hear them firming amen and saying, yes, that's, that's right. It's true. It, in some ways, that amen alerts, awakens all of us to say, this is God's word. This is how God's people respond to hear the word. But not only that, I mean, think about this, this lifting of hands and then the bowing of their heads and getting on their faces to the ground. Think about it for a moment when you see a senior adult saint. One that you know probably physically struggles come and bow in this place in response to the word of God. Does it not move you? It reminds me of how often how lazy I am or how lackadaisical, man, to see sometimes their example of just coming and bowing, right? Or sometimes when I look across and I see feeble hands holding those pews, standing with all their might, it's just a reminder. God's worth it. Stay faithful. In the best of seasons, the worst of seasons, what I'm saying to you is this. We need the church. We need the church. Even this week, as I talked to, to some who are struggling to come back, they're like, listen, Blake, I just want you to know that being at home isn't the same. We know that. Guys, listen, gathering. We need the church. Why? Because at home, you don't hear the other amens. You're not reminded of that brother or sister next to you struggling, and you hear their voice. Right? You don't hear other little voices around you crying out and little children. You don't see others around you as you awaken to the truth of God's word. It's not the same. Beloved, we need the church to come and to gather together to hear the word of God. So the people are attentive. They're hearing God's word. I could go on. I know time's tight, but man, you could look places like 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13. Maybe I'll just close with, with this other point here is that the people gather to hear the word, they're attentive to the word when they gather, but the people are also taught the word. Notice what happens here again. As all, all the, the, the leadership comes and the Levites are there helping instruct, look what it says, verse 7. It says they help the people. Notice again, they're helping the people to understand the law, to understand God's word. While the people remain in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense. So again, why? So that the people would have understanding. It's a reminder why we need the church. Why? Because we need others who can help us, who can point us to the truth. They can clarify maybe what's confusing to us. Maybe they can rebuke in us what's wrong and affirm what's right about our understanding of the Word of God. 
Ephesians 4 says that Christ himself gave certain gifts to the church. And he says he gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? So that the body of Christ may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what's that look like? Well, he goes on to say there in Ephesians 4 that we may all attain to the unity, to the fullness of Christ. What? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And one of the ways God is helping do that to you in my life is that he's gifted people. He's gifted that Sunday school teacher, that person that's pouring into your kiddos on Wednesday night and is coming alongside of you. Right? God is gifted and equipped others in the body of Christ to help us. We need the church. We need to gather to hear God's word being proclaimed, to hear it and that we might understand it. Why? So that we might live it. I want to be clear today as we close that no pursuit of reading the Bible on your own or gathering with the church enough will ever make you qualified to be acceptable to God. The truth is, is that none of us are good enough. So the last thing I want you to hear today is that you just need to go and read your Bible more. Yes, I want us to, but I want us to remember why. It's because in the Word we find Christ. And it's Christ who came and, guess what? By the very nature that He was God, He lived the sinless life that we could never live. And His sinless life qualified Him to offer the sacrifice that we could never offer to God. Perfection, holiness, righteousness, perfect obedience to this book. And therefore, by His perfect sacrifice, He who was qualified now makes us who were disqualified acceptable in the sight of God. Why? By repentance and faith in the Son of God. And how do we know this is true? How do we know that we could anchor our lives and really believe that God will accept us by faith in Christ alone? The Bible says because on the third day, on the third day, on the Sunday morning, a morning just like this morning, that's why we gather on Sunday, is because we are resurrection people who declare that our God received that sacrifice. He accepted the payment for your sin. Do you hear it? And the, the affirmation that rings out through eternity to know that God has accepted His Son's sacrifice is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It's our promise. It's our anchor. It's our hope. So above all, beloved, I want you to hear this morning, we need Christ. And when we receive Christ, He'll begin to transform our hearts. But I also want to say this. There are probably some of you here who feel like me after hearing this. I'll be honest, I've struggled a little bit preaching and preparing this. Because I know that how many mornings I struggle hitting that snooze. I would love to say, man, that this is just an area that I so often rock out every single day. But the truth is, I need grace. And I'm thankful for it. And so maybe this morning is a reminder to you that you've hit too many snoozes. And maybe it's been days or weeks or maybe it's been a long time. Could I just encourage you today with grace? That, that your, your Bible reading, if it's been perfect or it's been really hit and miss is that's not why god accepts you anyway he accepts us on the basis of his son i I just hope and pray that his grace his kindness his mercy being new every morning would encourage you to return back to the word to studying the word privately yes but also studying the word with the body of christ corporately we could pursue that in so many other applications of sunday school and wednesday nights as we gather and the need of accountability Right, as we gather with our community groups on Sunday nights. But I want to close with these words of the great American evangelist D.L. Moody as a reminder of our regular need to hear this word. Listen to this, what his statement is as we close. A man can no more take in a supply of grace 
for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. Church, we need the grace and mercy and goodness of God. And the way God has ordained that we receive it is through the word by the power of the spirit. I want to compel you, GBC, as you begin 2022, let us read the word. Yes, privately, and let us read the word corporately as a body of Christ. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that above all else, God, your word, your glory, God, you're good. And I thank you, Lord God, for the sustainment of your spirit. I pray now, God, that you would just, in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, draw many of us back to you. God, we confess to you the idols in our heart that have so quickly distracted that our hearts are not set on you and studying your word and delighting in your presence. God, forgive us, but I thank you that you're merciful and gracious. God, I thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. God, you are a good father. So, Lord, we just come thanking you for your mercy and grace and pray now that your Holy Spirit, God, would just give each of us a renewed heart and desire to seek you through your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.